Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. With me, Sean Tipping. I'm going to be your host today. Joining me today on the show is Devin Eckert, and Devin is a technician at an Audi performance shop in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, We've been uh, chatting on Facebook for quite a while. He's been dealing with a couple very interesting Audis with some interesting problems, and that's actually one of the reasons he's coming on the show today is to share a couple case studies with me for... uh, problem vehicles that he's recently dealt with. One of them, uh, very interesting what the resolution was to the problem. Um, We're also going to chat a little bit about the industry as far as mentorship goes, dealer versus independent world, and service information. So uh, this is a really great talk. I enjoyed chatting with Devin. So with that out of the way, let's jump right in. Cool, man. Well, uh, How's it going? How's your week going for you so far? Oh, it's it's good, man. The uh, I, I got the so the Audi S6, which is the second car. I guess I've I've mentioned to you about. I got that one going yesterday. Got okay. the engine back in, and uh, I was actually driving around today to you know make sure it's all good. And it uh, so far things are are really looking good on it, so I'm really excited. Nice. Yeah, that's uh, that's the one I definitely want to hear about. It's uh, pretty interesting for sure. And um, you had uh, messaged me a couple times along the way, and um, I don't know how much assistance I was, but it was interesting to hear what was going on. I was definitely curious to see the the final final, but it's it's good that you got there. And I want to I want to hear the story of how you got there. But um, why don't we uh, when we start off? You just want to introduce yourself, where you're from, what you do, how long you've been doing it. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm Devin. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, I guess I've been working in cars since, I guess, for the last 10 years. Okay. How'd you get into it? And, uh, 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 man, it has been, <laughs> to to say a journey has, is an understatement. Okay. I, uh, I, I, you know, started out with, I got my first car and my you know, our neighbor, he, he worked on cars and my dad was handy with cars, but wasn't actually like, you know, in the professional industry, but my neighbor was, and he's like, Oh, well, we're going to paint it. And I was like, all right. And I bought, it was a 93 Camaro. Nice. And, uh, yeah, the Opti spark goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, well, anyway, so we, you know, he showed me how to do it. And then as things went along, you know, how to fix it. And so I ended up going to tech school here in St. Louis for, uh, for collision work. Okay. And, uh, just sort of through disagreements with, uh, being, you know, fresh out of school and management and stuff and their expectations to the places closing down. I actually ended up, uh, just to keep a job and keep income, I ended up, ended up turning wrenches on semis just for a few months. Oh, no kidding. 
Yeah. And that was, uh, you, I don't know if you could pay me enough to go do that again. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've never done, I've never worked on anything close to that size. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't even know what that would be like. <laughs> the tools all have to be a lot bigger, right? <laughs> the wrench has got to be bigger. Oh, dude, like when you have to take off a tire, you're like, oh man, like this is all right. Like, you better eat your Wheaties today. Cause yeah, you have a one inch impact that weighs hundred pounds and it's, Jeez. it's no joke. But yeah. You must have to have a couple people to move some of the stuff around too, huh? Oh yeah. There was, uh, and again, you know, I was 20 at the time working there. So, you know, I was still super young and I remember they had me put, they were, they were already assembled, uh, you know, four nine inch style differentials, but they were in this, uh, the semi, you know, I had two of them tandem axle, and they're like, all right, change those out. And so just to get those out and then move them around, you had to use the overhead crane. And I'm like, man, this is, this is wild. Wow. How's the, and maybe you don't know, but how's the pay for something like that? If you continue with it and you're a top level tech working on semis, I mean, is it comparable to automotive way more less? <laughs> I know nothing. When about I it. was there. Sure. Okay. Uh, when I was there, I remember, and it could have, you know, mind you, it could have just been this place that I was at, but it was a Kenworth dealership. And, but hearing what, like these, some of the older dudes who had been there, you know, 10, 20, 25 years, what they were making. I'm like, why are you guys here? It was, you know, it was like low twenties, 20 an hour salary, no flat rate or, you know, excuse me, hourly. And it's okay. like, man, you guys, I thought you guys were supposed to make a ton of money and I'm, I'm finding out different. Interesting. Yeah. I'd be curious yeah. to know if it's, if, if it's different elsewhere, because yeah, that's gotta be just backbreaking work uh, on those things. But Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um, you did the semi thing for a while and then where'd you go from there? Oh, so yeah. So, you know, I did learn. I guess your basics on diesels at that time, you know, learning from the guys and then a few like little classes, they they sent us to the younger guys. And, uh, anyway, I, they, the owner came in one day and was like, Hey, we're, we're shutting it down. And I was already, I'd went from what first shift to second shift to third shift back. And then they eliminated third shift, eliminated second shift. And I was back on the first shift. And they were figured out they were cutting that. And I'm like, I need a job quick. And I found out they needed a, someone with any sort of diesel experience on Mercedes Sprinter vans at a Mercedes dealership here in St. Louis. Okay. And so that's how I got into the dealership world. Gotcha. So you get to work on sprinters for a while, huh? Yeah, I did uh, <laughs> a little over four years. I'm sorry. <laughs> Man, I, I, I didn't. It, it came, it had its pros and cons really because nobody sure. else wanted to do it. Everyone yep. left you alone. I suppose so. Well, and if you're at the dealer, were you supplied with the proper tooling to do that? Yes and no. It was uh, all we had, you know, thankful enough, we had a, a four post. So an alignment rack was my, the only rack I had. We didn't have a two post, which I've seen some shops use a two post on them, like a loaded you know, cargo sprinter and they're pretty sketchy. And so I, I never really cared. I, I didn't care not having one, but 
some of them, our garage doors were pretty small, so some of them wouldn't even fit in the building. So there were some days cold and hot where I was working outside in the parking lot. Yeah, I've been there myself, the the parking lot stuff. I remember doing a, uh, I worked at a shop where we kind of just took everything in, like a, a boat, a tractor, motorcycle, four-wheeler, whatever came in, the the owner just wanted, okay, we'll, we'll try to do something to it. And we took a, we took an RV in, I mean, big, big huge thing. And uh, they had us do a transmission on it and the shop wasn't even close to big enough to fit this thing inside, let alone get it up on a hoist. So of course we do it out in the parking lot and that's the job that I got. So I remember being out in the parking lot doing the transmission on this massive RV. The, the only good thing about it was once you pulled that the doghouse cover that was, a uh, you know, on the back of the engine, you, know, you had access to everything you wanted to. And you basically just sit there and take all the bell housing bolts out right from the top. But then, uh, yeah, getting it up off the ground and <laughs> bolted up. <laughs> that was a pain. Yeah. Holy smokes. <laughs> so did it, did it drop out of the bottom or could you unbolt it and bring it to the top? We, you probably could have gotten it through the top, but we took it out the bottom because there was, we were working with very limited equipment. I'll just say that. Sure. <laughs> Floor jacks yeah. and blocks of wood. So, <laughs> uh, was it at least a, a nice parking lot or was it just beat up? And yeah, I mean, it was, it was uh, asphalt. It was a gas station parking lot. So at least there was that. But, uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Not the worst. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Also not the best. And, you know, looking back on jobs like that, you're like, okay, well, you know, maybe the situation I'm in right now, uh, maybe it sucks on this hoist, but at least I'm not laying in a parking lot doing this, you know, so <laughs> gives you a little better perspective. There was a few times where if we thought the Sprinter van would fit inside, we would, you know, let the air out of tires and have 10 guys stand on the rear bumper to see if we can lower it enough to, to squeeze it inside. Cause once you got inside, it opened up. So it was just clearing the garage for a little area. Okay. Okay. Um, so then where'd you head after doing that for, or how long were you at the sprinter place? Uh, I was there a little over four years. Okay. So it was actually, it wasn't bad. I actually enjoyed it. I learned, uh, an incredible amount there well yeah and i mean in case you run into any of those down the road at least you got a <laughs> good frame of reference because i know oh yeah i know i know when i get one i'm always scratching my head on where is this component or how does this work or what tool do i need so i uh like you said i try to avoid them so <laughs> i was yeah. i was one of those guys that would leave you alone and just let you work on it <laughs> yeah yeah there was a lot of that it was, uh, I learned a lot though, man. Uh, so that was one of the topics I could get into if you cared. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, uh, I know very little about them. That's all I can say. Well, no, just so as far as, you know, like I think, uh, training up new techs as you guys bring up a lot and, you know, in the other podcasts. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do think there is a, definite lack of whether it's hard to find or there's just really no structure for it but uh lack of mentorships for you know young techs who are really want, wanting to learn a good way sure um 
I would totally agree with that in the majority of shops. There, there are shops that do that. There are dealerships that do that. But I think if you look at it as a whole, you know, I, every single automotive shop or truck shop out there, um, the majority aren't doing something like that. Yes, they'll train somebody, they'll get somebody in and they'll work with them. But there's not a, like you said, structure in place. Like we're going to take you from here to here. Here's what it's going to look like. Here's, you know, there, there's... Um, goals laid out and, you know, things that you'll, you'll achieve and people that you work with specifically, um, that, that definitely would benefit our industry so much more if it was in place everywhere or close to everywhere. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I, you know, I compare it for the longest time and I still do. I, I try to figure out a way like, okay, how could you make this more like, the labor unions that are out there, you know, the carpenters, electricians, where like you start out at this and then after this you're, and I get it, you know, there's pros and cons to everything, but at least it gives the younger guys coming up some goals and like, okay, cool. Like if I stick with it, I'll be here and, you know, and all that. And it seems they teach the same way of doing things, if that makes sense. You know, like, I guess a pipe fitter, like, Hey, if we're connecting pipe, here's how to do it. Not, 20 different ways to get it done. Yeah. It's, it's weird how the automotive industry got kind of left behind in that aspect or, or maybe just never caught up. I don't know how you want to look at it, but that you can look to so many other trades and see an example of how it's done, you know, electricians or plumbers or HVAC. Um, I know an HVAC guy, a good friend of mine and he was putting a furnace in my house and I'm talking to him. He's like, yeah, we have this kid, you know, he comes in, he works with me for, you know, directly every day for a year plus. And we, you know, we show him the rope, show him what he needs to do. And then we can send him out on his own. And eventually he'll have his own person to train under him where they're just working directly under somebody. And that's, that's what they're getting paid to do for a certain period of time. But you just, you don't see that as much <laughs> in the automotive industry as everywhere else. And I, I wonder why I, I don't have the answers to why, but it's, it's curious. Yeah. And it's, it is every day. I'm like, okay, what could, what could you put in place without a union or something, or, you know, just some, some shops that get together, like, you know, Hey, this is how we're going to train people. If they come, you know, if you're in this sort of group, and mm-hmm. this person is a journeyman within this group, then okay, we will agree that he knows his shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, so, I, I, I don't know if it was like this for you, but I know every shop that I worked at, whether I was just out of tech school or I had a little bit of experience, maybe they'll set some limitations on the jobs they'll give you, but they're kind of just going to throw you in there and say, here you go. Here's the car you're working on. Here's the job we need you to get done. Bob's over there. If you got a question you know, and you're just, you're just set loose to, to wreak havoc on someone's car, um, with, with very little, um, as far as a safety net or anything goes when you're just getting started. So, I mean, it's, it's no wonder that a lot of young people don't last too long and end up leaving because it, it, that is a tough situation. You're just thrown in the deep end and good luck. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, like same thing happened with me. The, you know, with the sprinters, like I think the first besides, you know, a few oil changes, Oh, Hey, this thing needs a transmission. Go, go ahead and get after it. And it was like, okay. Um, how do we get to the work procedures? Like, can you show me that first? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then furthermore, like, why does it need a transmission? How did you figure that out? You know, and at that point it's, we, we don't have time for that. Just start getting after it. And then, you know, and then again, you start you're now you're like, Oh, okay. Well, I'm not sure why I'm doing this, but all right. Yeah. A skipped learning moment. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and I mean, yes, there's value to figuring stuff out for yourself, but it's got to be done in a controlled setting, you, you know, uh, w- with someone who's experienced and can kind of step in when it's necessary and be there for you in that, you know, you have that there it makes it a lot easier than just, Hey, uh, put this, uh, put this flex plate on this Ford Explorer. I remember that was one of my first jobs. I just got tossed. I was still in tech school, but I was working evenings at a repair shop. He's like, here's this flex plate, you know, let's put it in. It's cracked. And I had absolutely no clue, no clue what I was doing. Um, it took me like four oh, days man. to do it. And, um, I, I, it was, it was just a disaster because I was just trying to figure everything out for the first time myself and, and really didn't have much any, of any assistance. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the way it is. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's, it's all because of the flat rate thing, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that's just a cop out to blame flat rate for everything, but, um, it, it, it is really interesting how, <laughs> how it, it, how you've talked to a lot of people and they've had that similar experience in this industry. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and, oh, flat rate. That is a, uh, I don't know if you call it a necessary evil. Like it has its, it has its place. That's for sure. But yep. it definitely creates uh, an unimaginable amount of bad habits. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have some of those bad habits. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all do. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, actually, the uh, you know at Mercedes with learning so much, the the foreman there, he was uh, you know some people thought he was mean and whatnot, and they're like, oh, he doesn't want to help, but after learning and working with him because, you know, I had no choice. I, that was the guy I went to, uh, I mean, he, he ended up being like awesome and he would help out as long as you showed, you put forth effort into trying to figure out the problem on your own. Okay. You know, and that's where like, Oh man, I, you know, as far as, Hey, here's the code. What do you think? You know, he'd look right back at me and be like, well, what do you think? Yep. And then, you know, okay, well, where should I go from here? And, you know, he would kind of give you, okay, well, check this. And then, you know, even if you're like, well, how do I check it? Well, now you need to go back to your, uh, you know, at the time, I, I forgot what it was, what the program was that Mercedes used, but, uh, you know, go check there. And if you still can't mm-hmm. figure it out, come get me. But he would, yeah, he would give you some bait and then give you, but it would come with some work. But as long okay. as you were shown that you put in the work and if you came to him with the, you know, I've checked A, B, C, and D, X, Y, Z. I'm still not an answer. Then he's like, all right, well, let's take a look at it together. And I'm, I learned so much that way. It was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, he sounds like a, that, that's exactly what you want in a mentor is, you know, knowing when to, you know, give somebody the answer or when to withhold it and get them to find, figure it out for themselves. Um, and I know I, I've experienced that both in the field and at school where you do just kind of have to, you have to step back and let them struggle through something, but know when, okay, you know, they're in over their heads. They're really frustrated. Uh, they're going down a complete 
wrong direction. Okay, let's step in and give them a hand. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's how you learn. That's um, really important. We just need to see more of it. I think is the thing. And maybe you know, maybe it's just as simple as each one of us taking a responsibility to do that ourselves. But uh, you know, there has to be enough in the industry to make a big change to keep and capture all the young people that are coming into the industry so they don't go elsewhere. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, what, uh, what was after Mercedes or how long were you there for? Uh, A little over four years. And then I, I left to try some, you know, try the, the restoration world. Okay. And uh, working on older cars, and uh, it was it was an, it was a pretty poor experience to say the least. Just the uh, the amount of work or quality of work, or what was the what was the problem there? Uh, yeah, the quality, man. You know, they would really, you know, there were days where I it was a mental struggle to do the things they were asking because they were charging somebody for some really shady stuff, and I'm like, uh. I. I, okay. it's hard for me to go forward with this because I, I, I'm not comfortable with this. The customer would not be happy with this, but yet you're telling me like, we'll get it done. And yeah, lack of equipment. The building was so, uh, terrible that there were days where I legit, like would walk through and I'm like, man, this could, this could collapse on me right now. And so, uh, yeah, that only lasted about, uh, five or six months. Okay. All right. And then uh, from there, yeah, I actually went back to the same dealer, but they had uh, an Audi brand. They also have Audi there. And I uh, went there for a little over two years. And that's where I learned the majority of the Audi stuff. Okay. And you're still doing that to this day or? Uh, I'm, at, I'm at a smaller shop and they uh, specialize in Audi Volkswagen and GM. And it's mainly performance stuff. But then also kind of, you know, hey, if it, if, if somebody wants something done, the, I guess the the guy who plans all the jobs and stuff, he'll come to me and say, hey, is this something we want to get into? And we'll talk about it and then we'll decide if we want to go forward with it. Just like this, you know, these, these few really big problem childs that we've come across here. Well, speaking of um, where... Uh... Where do we start the story with, uh, would you say it was a six or what was the model? Uh, so I have an S four and an S six. I'd talk about with you if you wanted to, unless okay. you only want to do one. I don't know how much time oh. you have. No, I got, uh, got all the time in the world. So wherever you want to start. Okay. We'll start with the, uh, the S four. It's the, I can't, I can't remember the year to be off the top of my head. Maybe it's 13, but it's the, it's a three liter supercharged V six. Okay. And, uh, a guy just bought it and, you know, so we'll, we'll get into it and, you know, Hey, this guy just bought this thing from, I think it was a Maserati dealership down the street, check engine light comes on. And, you know, I immediately think, well, why did it get traded in? Sure. You know? And so I, I'm like, okay. And then brings it in and I get, it's a, uh, I think system rich and I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but system rich fault. And I'm okay. like, hmm, okay, interesting. So I go through and I'm checking everything. And then finally I 
you know, I start, I got out my, the book I bought, uh, from scanner Danner. Okay. And, uh, that actually helped a lot because it gives you some, you know, good points that you can, all right, check this, cross it off, you know, kind of like a good list. Sure. And so, you know, like, you know, starts out higher than normal fuel PSI. No, we, you know, we got it running, got it hot, shut it off, fuel rail pressure climbed. And I was like, well, nothing, nothing's leaking off. That's mm-hmm. good. And then, uh, what is it? Leaking fuel injectors, which, yeah, same thing. I didn't see anything leaking off. So, uh, cross those off. And then, um, we ended up getting down to fuel contaminated oil. Oh, okay. And, you know, I'm sitting and I'm sitting there and I even, and in this car, and this was another one where I ended up, you know, being at the shop at 10 o'clock at night with a buddy being, you know, just kind of bouncing ideas like, okay, how could this happen? Mm-hmm. And so we got down to the problem of, uh, cause we were, excuse me, let me back up. We checked, you know, we drove it and we were checking all the, the fuel trims and they would just, you know, as, as the car, what was where it kind of threw for a loop is that the car got hotter it would just go so rich. It was unbelievable. Okay. You know, you're like, how, how is this thing running? Basically? Uh, I was going to ask you, how was it actually running uh, as far as the ran? Quality? Sorry. Uh, it ran great. Okay. Just fuel trends were way out of whack and codes were setting. Yeah. Like if, if that check engine light, if somebody put a piece of tape over it or, you know, put the light out, <laughs> you never know the difference. Okay. All right. So, uh, anyway, so, you know, we're messing around with that and then we change out, uh, we, ch- you know, we, ch- uh, I guess the, the shop owner, he said, put sensors in it. And I'm like, well, I don't want to throw parts at it, but okay, I'll do as you say. Uh-huh. Uh, didn't, didn't fix anything, you know, trim still completely out of whack. So we're, we're sitting there and it's finally, yeah, it's, you know, again, 10 o'clock at night and we're like, okay, we got down to the fuel contaminated oil and how can this happen? You know, where does fuel meet oil? And mm-hmm. we, the only thing we put our heads on was like, okay, the high pressure pump is run off the camshaft. If something in there is somehow letting fuel buy into the oil, mm-hmm. you know, well then, well, you know, how would it, you know, well then how would that affect it? Well, with the uh, crankcase vent system on there, what, well, you know, it could get down in the oil, gets hot, starts burning, you know, evaporating up, coming through yep. the uh yeah, the crankcase back into the breather and we're like, sure. Well, yeah, I doubt that's it, but let's let's plug it all, you know, we'll unplug it and we'll plug it all off and, and see what happens. Yep, and block, the block off we, the PCV. Yeah, we blocked off the PCV and then but then that created a vacuum leak, I guess on the valve cover, so then we had to plug that as well. Gotcha. And uh as soon as we did that, you know, took the, it's, I mean, within seconds, the, uh, the numbers on the fuel terms came way down and we're like, no way. Is nice. this it? So then we, uh, just to be sure and not, you know, high pressure pumps more expensive than an oil change. We, uh, raised the car up, changed the oil because, you know, it got all the, at least most of the fuel contaminated oil out of the car. And we're like, all yeah. right, well, if tonight it doesn't raise the numbers out of whack with everything plugged in, then it was the contaminated oil and we're going to go after a pump. 
And okay. so we did that and the numbers came down and it was, it was, you know, it was one of those, like, you gotta be kidding moments. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah, we changed out the pumps the next, or, you know, I did and then went and drove it and it's like, I can't believe that was, that was the issue. But, and so it makes me wonder if more, if this is a more common issue than I'm aware of on these GDI cars. Yeah. I've seen it a couple times now. Um, and I know I've heard about it a few more, but I've only ran into it once or twice. And I'm actually trying to remember the vehicle. I think it was a GM of some sort where it was leaking fuel yeah, into the oiling system. And I, I, I believe it was leaking a low pressure fuel into the oiling system, as opposed to the high pressure part of the pump actually leaking. Cause I imagine if that happened, I don't know if it can or does happen, but you'd, you'd be like flooding the crankcase with fuel if it was the high side, but on the low side, I think it just, it's just enough that seeps in there to make it. So yeah, you pull that dipstick and it smells like gas. Um, did you, could you see any like visual signs of that thing leaking when you pull the pump out? No, not at all. That was, that's what's weird. Interesting. Yeah. Cause I, you know, and I tried to move some things around to you know, like, Oh, maybe it's got some play in it or, or this and that. And no, and I think you are right. Like, yeah, maybe I'm going to guess the low side coming in as it pressurized, it was leaking into the crankcase. Okay. Or excuse me, the like leaking onto the camshaft. Well, it's funny, you know, you go way, way back to carbureted vehicles and you had fuel pumps driven off the camshaft and you could have those things leak <laughs> too. And that was way, way back before. I mean, I was just, when I was just getting started, all of those were like just phasing out, but I remember changing some fuel pumps on the side of the block on those things. And then they got rid of them and oh, now it's back. So <laughs> it's interesting how it all oh, goes in a cycle. Yeah. Um, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. That would have. And, but they, back then they didn't have uh, fuel trims to look at. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But, and it's funny you say it comes around in a circle because uh, a lot of the newer cars, you know, that aren't, on the performance side of thing, they're really not being able to be tuned. You have to manipulate a sensor while like by piggybacking it. And a guy okay. at work, he's like, man, we're, we're, we came full circle. We're back. We're back to piggybacking sensors. Like, like the eighties and early nineties. <laughs> yeah. That is interesting. Um, you know, and I'm just thinking as, as we're talking here, cause you did do the check for the high side to see if it leaked down and it didn't. So, it it must have been it must have been on that low side that it was leaking through into the crankcase, um, but that is uh, that's definitely something to think about on any GDI vehicle that you could be you could be doing that. Could could you smell it? Like if you pull a dipstick, could you smell gas in there? Yeah, and that that was a uh, you know that was another thing that sort of threw me for a loop because. I, I've thought I've smelt that before, you know, and pe- you know, and they get these other people that are just overly confident or whatever that you, they make you, you know, question yourself. I'm like, man, that smells like gas. No, that's just, that's just how oil smells. And you're like, Oh shit. Okay. But <laughs> yep. I'm pretty sure that's not what it smells like, you know? Right. Right. Well, that's good. Got that so, one wrapped uh, up. Yeah. And this next one's uh, a doozy. So the, the next one I can start on it. It's uh, an Audi S six. It's 2015. 
So this is a four liter twin turbo V8 and it's a hot V. So the turbo's on the center, intake manifolds are on the outside of the, the cylinder heads. Okay. All right. I have never worked on one of those before. <laughs> Ooh, like when you first look at them, or well, at least when I did, you know, the first one, I was like, I don't know. Somebody else do this. I don't want to touch this thing. It just looks <laughs> oh, so overly complicated. Yeah. You know, just among, I basically, that's probably how every engine is. Um, and once you get in it, you're like, oh, it's just that bad. Yeah. It's just all more it's nuts and bolts and then there's some engines with more nuts and bolts <laughs> yeah exactly um so yeah this one this was a this was a tough one because you had i had no information on it so uh, the the you know is the thing where hey guy says he took he had it at a different shop they put turbos on it and they blew up so they put no, more turbos on it, you know, two more set or two more turbos on it. And the first time he got into it, it made a noise and now it's running like crap. And, okay. and it needed turbos once again, or, or, and, and, you know, he's like, he's going to tow it here. And so I'm like, oh, okay, sure. And, you know, cause I was told like, all we're doing is putting turbos on it. Fine. Okay. And so I, I put turbos on it. And as soon as I fired up cylinder four, cylinder five misfires. And I was like, ah, oh, here we go. You know, here's the yeah. start of it. What could I, what could I have done wrong? Yeah. Oh, sure. I, I know that feeling, right? It's like, even though it has nothing to do with what you did, you're just like, okay, well, what did I, what did I mess up? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I didn't touch anything that basically could do this, but I'm going to, I'll take the blame for it. Why not? So at this point, you don't uh, know anything about like what the original concern with the vehicle was. No, I had no clue. And that's my thing is, you know, when I fired it up, okay. Like, what did I do wrong? But at the same time, are these, were these misfires here? Like, mm -hmm. wait, I put turbos on it just as you know, we agreed to, but were they, uh, did I cause these misfires or are they here? Like this would be information that I would love to know. <laughs> sure. Um, so, you know, once again, we're, we're going through, we're checking everything we're changing and mind you, this, these cars are a huge pain just to do spark plugs on. So to swap around a plug and coil was time consuming, you know, it's not, it wasn't, it's not your normal, just cool. This will take five minutes. Like there's, gotcha. there's pretty in-depth deal to it and um so i swap around coil and plug and you know listening uh, you know and i learned it from definitely your podcast and reading and whatnot you know like sometimes the cylinder can be that it's telling you is misfiring can be wrong mm -hmm. so i you know I, I swap around the coil and plug no difference okay cool well then all of a sudden it goes from, you know, four goes away, but now it goes to five cylinder five and which is on the other side of the engine, but they're in the same, you know, they're right after another in the firing order. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, maybe, maybe this is wrong. And now it's cylinder five. So, okay. you know, I, <laughs> I go to the other side, swap coil and plug, uh, doesn't go away. Cylinder five, cylinder five, cylinder five, you know, is, as I'm chasing this, well, then it, all of a sudden, I think I put it all back together and I'm like, okay, well, you know, what can we check now? 
and then it jumps to cylinder four again. And, you know, it's like I was just chasing this back and forth. It was cylinder four only, cylinder five only, cylinder four and five. Huh. And, it, yeah, it got really, really old. Um, just a quick question, because I'm not super familiar with Audis. Does this have, like, live misfire counters in the data stream? Or are you going after or off of codes? Or what is, what is the reference for misfires on this one? Yeah, so it did have a, a misfire. Oh, um, a misfire counters. Okay, cool. So we were able to, I think they, I think it's called Ross Tech or VCDS or, oh, or sure, Badgecom sure. or, you know. And uh, yeah, so you're able to watch it. And again, it was jumping back and forth. And so I'm scratching my head and just like, man, what is, and so for a minute, I, you know, I went to like, okay, well, we're going to, you know, well, we're going to stop what we're doing. We're going to check wiring because is this ECM going bonkers? Mm-hmm. And so I check wiring to all the coils and everything's good. And so uh, we checked uh, some more wiring. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of where it was. Anyway, it's not important. But uh, we, so we moved to, uh, I think it's probably about the time I got to, you know, I asked you, but uh, we moved to compression check. Just like, okay, cool. Maybe. You know, he said as soon as he got into boost, it made a noise and now it runs like crap. Like maybe he maybe dropped a valve. Sure. And so we're doing our compression checks and there, there, there's some differences, but on different cylinders, so you, everything was within spec per Audi, which was, you know, spark plugs out, uh, fuel injectors, not running, uh, throttle body, you know, wide open or, you know, to the floor and crank it over and everything mm-hmm. was within one 180 to 220 psi okay all right and you know and i think they their spec was one 130 was where limit so i'm like well we're, we're nowhere near there yeah so i'm gonna you know i was like I'm, I'm not gonna go down that hole or that rabbit hole yeah so then i i started up and i'm letting it run for a while you know just to kind of think and it, well you know and it's smoking really bad too and i'm like well oh, man maybe and you know i'm looking at fuel trims and it was it was on the richer side of things but at the same time you know mind you i didn't mention this but the car had been tuned oh okay yeah that holes throws a whole nother uh can of worms in there <laughs> yeah you know so you're looking at these fuel trims and like all right well this is like this this is this would be rich to me but is this what it's tuned for Mm-hmm. you know and all that so uh anyway it's smoking and i we've checked everything under the sun as far as i'm concerned and so it was all right you know same thing uh i think we have a stuck injector just because they're you know they're maybe they're loading up the cylinders it's getting rich that's why it's smoking so much and we finally made a decision to all right we're going to put injectors in it. and this one yeah we were not for sure by any means and I didn't feel comfortable doing it because on these engines, you have to drop the whole thing out as I sent you a picture just to do the injectors. Okay. Because they're, you know, they're on the outside. Well, the frame rails are on the outside and there's no way you're getting to them. Or maybe, maybe somebody has somebody on the internet, but not me. Gotcha. And, uh, so, you know, I lower the engine down, you know, engine and trans on this table and I get the, the front of the intake manifold off it's kind of three pieces you know one on each cylinder head and then the 
one on the front of the engine that goes that kind of i guess wise off in a sense if that makes sense sure so i get that part off and i'm like okay you know and I, i'm just organizing you know as i'm going and cleaning things up and i walk by and i could see down the intake manifold on the driver's side of the engine and i i see this you know thing and i'm like oh what is that like a you know some sort of sound deadening in there like are they tr- like what is that and then i you know i get the flashlight out and all of a sudden i'm like oh my god that's on cylinder five and i look even closer and it's a rag inside the manifold inside the manifold down the intake manifold <laughs> runner like i imagine like pac-man just chewing pac-man like the piston and valves just chewing on this thing oh my god so uh yeah i yank it out of there and i'm like oh okay well is there if, you know let me look on the other side lo and behold cylinder four another <laughs> rag oh man yeah and so it was just it was a ton of work, but you know, what a relief to, Oh, well, we found it. Not yeah. You this, got it. You got it for sure. Yeah. You, you know, not this gonna put injectors in it and put the engine all the way back in the car, get it all hooked up and fired up and hope that it's good. Yeah. So that was, you know, just, Oh man, that was quite the relief. So anyway, I got it fired up yesterday, still smoked so bad, but, Okay. Um, we, uh, you know, I think when they, I guess maybe when the second, the second set of turbos took a dump, I think it dumped a bunch of oil like everywhere. And I tried to clean out as much as I could. And I also think the, you know, through the exhaust, you know, the, the cats, the resonators and the mufflers were just soaked in oil. Okay. I gotcha. That would, that would make sense. Um, so yeah, I wonder where along the line those rags made their way in there. I, you know, you always wonder, okay, what was the initial failure, and then how did this proceed? Because obviously, after a repair of some sort, it got worse, and then it left that shop somehow or another. So it's just very interesting to how uh, how it made it to you. Yeah, you know, it it, it it is funny because I even thought like, okay, benefit of the doubt, this guy had the front of it off and he said, well, I don't want anything to fall in here, even though it's a, it's a you know, it's completely straight up and down, like the chances of you dropping a screw or something are very slim. Uh-huh. And maybe he put a rag in there and was, okay, like, I, he forgot it, put it all back together. And when this guy got on it, it sucked them in and you know that's when it started to run my crap uh-huh but then oh, also man. you know another guy was saying uh you know possibly that well maybe i you know they wonder if the shop it got pulled out of they you know they they didn't have the greatest attitude about it that they put them in there on purpose and was like well good luck with this and then so when i fired it up it was my fault but regardless i found it and i was extremely excited yeah no kidding i mean yeah, that's that would be a tricky one for anybody to diagnose because going back to what you were saying with the first car, you know, you're sitting down with your buddy and you're going through a list of things that could cause a problem. And if I'm going through a list of things that cause a problem of a misfire, 
at least prior to this conversation, rag in the intake would not be one of those things on the list. Right. And so it's not even, it's not even (laughs) on my mind to check for that. And I don't even know besides taking it apart, how do you check for that? I mean, maybe Brandon Steckler's got a waveform of one in a vacuum (laughs) pulse sensor or something. This is what a rag in a manifold looks like, but it wouldn't even be on my mind. So, I mean, that you found it is awesome. Um, I, so, okay. I've actually seen that happen twice rags in manifolds. One, one was caused by myself as a young technician. I had a manifold off of a Ford. Yeah. I had a manifold off of a Ford Escort and I, uh, was cleaning the gasket surface because it was old paper gasket and you really had to work to get those clean. And so I shoved rags, the little blue shop rags, the paper ones, I shoved them in each four of the intake ports and it was on the kind of the back side of the head. So it wasn't facing me, cleaned everything up. And then I got distracted. I went back, I bolted up the manifold. Well, I never took the rags out. Okay. Now, lucky, lucky oh. for me, <laughs> mine didn't even start. <laughs> I crank it and it does not start. And I'm like, okay, I messed something up. And I uh, took it apart and I was able to dig out all the rags. Cause I, I figured it out pretty quick. I was like, oh yeah, I didn't take those out. So I, I caused it, but at least, at least I fixed it before it went out the door. Um, but I saw it one other time and it wasn't all the way into the manifold. Um, it was in the air duct from somebody servicing the vehicle and it got wedged in the throttle. So it was a friend of mine and she called me and she's like, yeah, I had my car worked on the other day. And now it it's, I, th- I don't know if it was idling really high or if it was revving really high because the throttle was like wedged open by this rag that was getting pulled through. Oh, and, no. um, yeah. So I, I pull the, I pull the air duct off and this is red you know, your classic red shop rag that's just wedged in there. It's like, okay, well, it's fixed now. <laughs> that's wow, uh, yeah. Hey, good thing you found it and it didn't get go through the engine. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Or peg the thing wide open or something like that. Um yeah. Yeah. So it's, was that uh was that a drive by wire or was that still it, cable? Yeah, it was still cable. That was that was quite a few Ooh. years ago. So yeah, that would have, I mean that would have just pegged her wide open. So um, I think she, I think she had the wherewithal to actually shut it off because it was revving so high, but um, yeah, it, it's amazing. The problems that we cause for ourselves in this industry, the man-made issues that are, that are brought onto these vehicles. Um, it, you, you just hope you can catch your own mistakes, right? That you can find the dumb thing that you did and not have to leave it up to someone else to <laughs> resolve like you had to do for the, whoever caused that problem. Oh yeah. And, and there's, you know, there's so many times where you do it, but it's, uh, well, you know, it happened, but man, it's like, I, uh, you, you could bet a lot of money that you won't do it again because you learned very, very well from that mistake. Yeah, no kidding. That's the that's one of the best teachers is messing something up <laughs> for for most people, anyways. I know I know I do. If I screw something up, I'm never going to forget it. Yeah. Well, as uh, those are both very interesting. I really like the rag one. That was pretty cool. Yeah, it was. It was yeah, it was cool to find it. It was stressful though, you know, just because I'd never I'd never pulled done the the four liter job on, on those cars, so. 
when I mm-hmm. went to fire it up, you know, it's like, well, okay, did I put the injectors in correctly? Is the manifold sealed correctly? Like I, t- I did torque everything down to spec. I marked it like, but then it was taking a while to fire up just because to build fuel pressure again. And I yeah. remember thinking, I was like, well, cool. I'm gonna have to drop this engine. Uh, I'll, I'll figure it out. And then it finally fired up. I'm like, Oh, all right, cool. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good feeling to, <laughs> to have it all back together working properly. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, well, that, and then that's the thing, though. The, you struggle through this stuff. The ones that really kick your butt in the in the big picture in the long run, those are the ones that help you the most, right? It, it, once you're past it, everything else seems a little bit easier. Um, every other job is just well, it's not it's not the the rag in the intake job. So I'm doing pretty good today, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um. So yeah, speaking of those, I actually had a question for you on, you know, cause I feel like the, you know, I'm, I'm very, I, I think I'm uh, new. I'm not very good at the diagnostic stuff. You know, like I, I think you, you know, you and a ton of, a ton of the people you've had on the podcast are light years ahead of me. But the thing I, I hear you guys all say in common is like, you, you learn how the system works. You know, you go back, you'll read how the system works and then you come up with a plan and I always wonder where you're getting your info on how the system works, because I, I definitely learned from Mercedes, you know, they were very good at if you, okay, well, the sensor, well, well, where is the sensor doing and who controls it and what things affect it around it and all that. And it seems like without being in the dealership world or even Audi kind of sucked at it, but uh, it's hard to find, find those descriptions on how systems work. So like, what are you doing for it? Yeah. Well, I can tell you right now, European vehicles are where I struggle with that the most, because even if I do have access to service information, it's vague at best. Um, Obviously, my first answer is service info, right? But that does fall short. So um, now service info, like through um, through like a pro demand or yes. So this would be either pro demand, all data or identifix, which in 99% of the cases is just regurgitating factory information, right? So that I'm not, I'm not having to subscribe to several different factory websites for OE info. I can just do, you know, one or two of those and then get it. it, It's kind of rehashed, right? But a lot of times it's direct from service info, but from factory info, maybe some is missing. And then that's when you got to pay the you know, the short-term script to get in there, but yeah, I'll go into like an all data and it's, it's organized very well in all data and, and you can go into a component, you click, click on transmission, and then you go into the description operation. And that's, that's where I live. A lot of the time is in description operation and for a lot of vehicles, not all, but a lot of vehicles, it has really good layouts of how this works, um, how, how the components set up, what's involved, how it's supposed to function under what settings. And again, different manufacturers will do it better than others. I struggle with European. Um, sometimes when I can't find it there, I'll go into the code information. If, if it's something that has a code, right? Which today I think most things are, but you can go into the, the code 
set criteria. And a lot of times they'll explain a system more there through how it's faulty. They'll say, okay, well, this is how this thing's supposed to work normally, this code setting, because it's not doing this normally. And you might get an extra piece of information on a function of a system or component that they don't have laid out for you elsewhere. Um, that's that's the other place that I'll usually get it from. And then if um, if I don't have it there, then I'm I'm reaching out to other sources like um, you know different social media groups, um, you know friends in the industry, maybe some YouTube videos. It's you know there's quite the library of information out there as well. Uh, you got to filter through some junk, but there is some good info out there. Um, yeah, sure. And I guess that's pretty much it. And then if nobody's got anything, <laughs> I gotta gotta try to figure it out for myself, you know, mess around with it or or get a known good. I guess that would be the other way. And you know, guys that are dealerships, they're at an advantage there. Um, because you know, maybe they can get their hands on one that's working, run some tests, see how it reacts to stuff, and then compare it to the one that's not working, and they might have a little better idea of what's going on. Oh man, at the, at the dealership, we used to, if there was a, you know, a car that on, you know, brand new car, like in the showroom, but it had the part we needed, like we were, we were yanking it. Okay. Okay. For, for a known good. Like it was, it was actually pretty funny. You're like, oh, that, that car hasn't even been like pre-delivery inspected. It just rolled off the truck an hour ago. Well, we need a known good. Go grab it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, Hey, if uh, if it's going to prove something out to you and you can get that that car on the road, then it's totally worth doing it. You know, I think if if any one of us had an endless supply of known good parts, uh, we would use them <laughs> more often than we'd like to admit. But um, unfortunately, that's not the case for a lot of vehicles. No, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, with, with the information and how systems work, I feel like that's going back to, you know, the mentorships and whatnot, but I feel, you know, uh, th there is an aspect, you know, to this trade of obviously we're taking things apart and putting them back together, hopefully without breaking anything and putting it up together properly. But, you know, especially this day and age, you, you got to really know how the systems work. But then yes. even more than that, you got to know where to go to find out where the systems work. So just helping the, you know, the guys just starting or even myself, I would, you know, I need to get better at it as far as, hey, this is how you get to finding the information you need to figure out where you're going to go with your diagnostic steps. Because if you don't know how that system works, there's no, you know, I guess without loading the parts cannon or whatever, uh, there's no, like, you shouldn't be trying to diag it. Yeah. Well, 100%. If you don't, if you don't really understand how something works, I, I don't, I don't see how you'd have a chance of trying to figure out what was wrong with it. I, I just, that's, it, it, that's one of the most fundamental things that I try to get across to students in the program at school is you, you have to understand how it works. You have to have an expected result from your test when you do it any any kind of test you should expect something and so often we see people that'll do tests and i don't know maybe they have an idea but they don't really even know what to expect if it's good so then what's the point of the test why are you why are you even doing that why are you looking at the scan tool data pit if you don't 
know what should be there, right? And that's that's where all the legwork behind the scenes comes in to make you a good technician is figuring out, you know, what is the expected result? What is the known good? What is good for that thing that you're looking at? And then comparing it to what it is. And if you know that, it's easy, right? It's, it's easy to figure these things out. And, but that's the challenge with this industry is nobody knows it all. You're going to run up against stuff that you don't know how it works. You don't know what the known good is. And that's where all that other, all the other resources come into play. Yes. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, you know, and then, you know, along with that, again, is on one of your last podcasts, I think uh, you had Matt Ponslow on, or fans, however you say it. And he was talking about them, him passing along the information he has learned. And he was kind of like, well, I don't just want to give it away. He wants to find people with passion that did what he, you know, that stayed up late at night reading what he read and all that. I, I will use myself as an example, but I'm sure there's plenty of people way more enthusiastic about it than me, but it's okay. Well, just where did you go to find this information? You know, we'll read it, but if we don't even know where to go to start reading it, we're, we're, we're at a loss completely. And, you know, just, just, you know, again, the, the, if you're going to find out how the system works, but you don't know how to even, you know, what website to go to, to read about it. Well, there's a million websites out there. Like you're going to be guessing for a long time. Yeah. Um, being able to even even know what's out there and then being able to navigate it. Um, and you know that's a challenge for somebody that's just entering this industry too, is that there is so much out there. Just to even be aware of all the options and resources out there is an undertaking. And then being able to pick which one that you want to invest your time or invest your money, maybe subscribing to, but then invest your time to actually go through that information. And hopefully it's what you need to, to fix what you're trying to fix or understand what you're trying to understand. Um, you, you could waste a lot of time going down the wrong avenue. Um, so even just like you're saying, having somebody to mentor you on what resources to look for, to utilize, um, is a big piece of it too. But uh, hopefully through like, some of the YouTube channels that are out there and some podcasts that are out there, we can help people at least understand, you know, the resources that are present and which ones are valuable and hopefully it gets people to the answers quicker, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I've, I've learned a lot just from listening to your podcast and one of the, you know, the biggest questions I've had since your, you know, the first episode I listened to, you're like, oh, so I went and read about this and how the system works. I'm like, okay, where did he get this information? Okay. All right. Well, it's, it's good that you say that because then, you know, I can keep that in mind as I'm going through case studies and, and list it out, right. And say, okay, I went to all data and it was under this. And here's what the information that I found. I, I think that's a good idea to reference that so other people can find the same thing. Sure. Yeah. No. And I mean, you don't have to do it, but I just know, like, again, myself listening, I'm like, cool. All right. Well, how did he get to that step? No, that is, uh, that is definitely something to keep in mind. Well, cool, man. Um, do you have anything else for me? Uh, I, I, you know, I, I didn't know if you wanted to go over the, the dealer versus independent lifestyles and stuff or, 
or we well, can wrap it up. It's no big deal. No, dude, I'm, um, I got time. Um, yeah, and so you've, you've worked in both scenarios, right? Dealer and independent. This is the first, I guess, sort of independent shop I'm at now. Okay. All right. But it's, your- it's very, uh, unconventional, I would say. Sure. Yeah. When you throw the performance aspect in there too, that kind of makes it a unique experience or, or a different experience compared to a lot like working at like a tires plus or firestone or something like that. What was the most challenging thing for you you know, having dealer experience and then going to an independent? Um, definitely the resources and mind you, uh, I'm, you know, I'm the only technician you know the at where i work now where i'm the guy that works on the cars you know we have a few other guys that you know everyone knows about cars but like one guy he runs the cnc machine the other guy does uh like production management and stuff and you know another guy he's an engineer for help working with he's the owner and engineer there and it's so if, if i have a question or like man where to find this information like i better figure it out because I don't, you know, at the dealer, you, you know, I could just look over and t- ask my buddy, Hey, you know where to find this information. And then he, you know, he know, if he doesn't, well then we'll ask the next guy down. There's, you know, 20 texts at Audi. So it's somebody knows where to get the information. And then you're, you're, you know, you're met with all the factory, a plethora of factory information. Sure. And so now, you know, you know, that's why I was saying like, where do you get your info? Cause we have pro demand and I'm just, I'm brand new with it. And just as far as how, where to get what information and is there a quicker way and you know, all that. So that's been the biggest challenge. Yeah. Um, I, I will say pro demand, how the information is organized, probably my least favorite out of like Identifix, all data and pro demand. It's, it just seems to be very difficult to find things at times through ProDemand. Uh, the navigation is just not as smooth. It's in there most of the time, but just doesn't always seem to be organized quite as well. So I, I could definitely see how somebody, if that's their first experience or you know first tool that they're using in the, the aftermarket, would be pretty challenging. Um, you know, all data kind of has a nice layout to it. It's re- it, it's very standardized across brands and you see the same thing for each manufacturer and you can find the same things in the same places regardless of the manufacturer and i think that really helps out a lot of aftermarket technicians uh, because we're, we're trying to get our heads wrapped around you know 20 different brands of vehicles and um at least having the information in the same spot <laughs> every time definitely helps out um, so I, I've oh, always yeah. liked all data. Okay. Well, maybe I'll mess with that. Cause yeah, there, I mean, there's even, you know, talking about putting the time in to like figure it out. Like I'll be the other night we were watching him at, well, my girlfriend was watching a movie and I'm sitting there with the laptop on pro demand, trying to learn how to navigate it better. And, you know, like, okay, well, what can I look for? And sure. All this. And it was still, you know, I'm like, Oh my God, like I'm yeah. terrible at this. Yep. It, it does not flow well. That's all I've always felt. And they've improved it a little bit with their search engine over the years. Cause there's, I don't even, when I first started using it, I don't even know their, their search feature when it first started was awful. 
it would pull up the most random unhelpful things and it's gotten better. Um, (laughs) but it's still, it's just, it's not intuitive to, to pull up the information. And I don't know, maybe somebody who works for pro demand is listening. I have no idea if they are, but it's just, it does not, it does not flow easily. I mean, it's like, (laughs) it's like, uh, using Google, which obviously everybody's familiar with. It works pretty well to find what you need and then trying to go use Bing, you know, and, and (laughs) it's similar, right? You can find it probably on Bing, but it's not going to be as easy and it's not going to, it's not going to do what you want it to do. Um, I do like Identifix too, and I've been using Identifix more and more because I think Identifix lends itself really well to somebody doing diagnostics specifically, like for the repair procedures and stuff. Honestly, I'd probably stick with, you know, all data and Mitchell. Not that they're not in Identifix, but they're easier to find in in all data or Mitchell. But uh, for Identifix, if you pull up a component, like let's say I pull up. Um, a uh, radiator fan, right? So it's going to pull up, you know, all the top hits and whatever, but it's also going to pull up wiring diagrams right there, TSBs right there, component locations right there, um, everything that you want on one page. And then you just click the links and then it'll open up a link and then you can still scroll on the same page. So maybe I've got component location right there. I scroll up a little bit and then I've got a wiring diagram right above it. And now, now I've got a connector pin out right above it and I'm just scrolling all on one page. I don't have to go back. I don't have to have multiple windows open. Um, for diagnostics, it's really, it's really good. It gets a bad rap because of the parts cannon, right? That it encourages a parts cannon, but they actually really do have a good setup for information for diagnostics through Identifix. Oh, okay. Well, cool. Yeah. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll see if we can switch to that then. Yeah. Okay. And okay. So if I had to pick one out of the three, like let's say I could only have one, I'd probably go with Identifix. Um, and if it was two, I guess I'd go all data and Identifix. I do find myself utilizing all data sometimes, like again, for like repair procedures or there's just, there's certain things where all data is very easy to find what you're looking for because of their consistent format for things. Um, if that, if that makes sense, like I always know where to find, I'm trying to think of an example here of something from just recently, um, for like, uh, what transmission is in my vehicle. Right. And, and maybe if you know a car line, that's easy, you know, GM, we'll just look at the RPO code. Okay. Well, maybe I don't know this Nissan and I don't know what of three transmissions is in there. On the front page, there's an application and ID tab. You click on that, and then it'll have a list of things like engine, transmission, so on and so forth. You click on transmission, it'll show you, okay, here's the tag or here's the information that you need to know for that transmission. And it's always there, right? As long as the manufacturer supplied that info, it's always going to be in that same spot. So nice for, for simplicity's sake the, and just repetition, and I know where all that stuff is, I like all data. Um, but again, for focused diagnostic stuff, I think Identifix, Identifix beats the other two out there. So do you have all three? You subscribe to all three? So I, I'm able to use all three. Um, I, I have my own subscription, um, for a couple of them, but then I, we have all three of them through the school. 
so that oh, because okay. we, we want the students exposed to all of them because we don't know what they're going to go use once they're out in the field. And so I do get to use all of them um, at the school. And so I can get a good feeling for each one of them. But yeah, that's, I guess that, that would be my, that would be my choice. If I can only pick one, it'd be identifix, at least for what I do. I think it's the most helpful. Okay. Do you ever, um, <laughs> the, I'd say the most frustrating part with uh, the German cars is, you know, let's say you're using the search tab, but, you know, they'll, they come up with some other crazy word or words to describe a part that you, you know, like these words you've never heard of or would never think of. So therefore you'll never find it because you're not even calling it the right part. And uh, I didn't know if like American or Japanese do that too, or I guess Korean as well. Well, they do. I mean, they 100% do. Um, but even even Toyota, which I I don't mind working on Toyotas. They're really not that much of a struggle. But like, if you look at their wiring diagrams, their acronyms f- on the diagrams for stuff, like when you follow a pin to the ECM and it says uh, like TCHWY, I'm like, I have no idea what that means. Like, is this a signal wire? Is it a ground wire? Like what, what is, and I'm sure that information's in there. PJ is probably screaming at me right now. Like just go here. It's super easy. Right. But you know, I'm not a Toyota technician. They'll call their, um, they'll call their, their like evaporative uh, system valves, weird names. Like, and I think Honda did this too. It's like, you know, vacuum switching valve. So it'd be a VSV valve, uh, you know, I'm used to it as a purge valve or an ev- or a vent valve or something like that. And they have a weird acronym for it. I, I think all manufacturers do that to okay. a point. Um, I mean, even German vehicles, I remember the first time I worked on one and I saw DME on the scan tool uh, and never in a million years would I would have thought that that was the engine computer, right? I'm looking for ECM or PCM or something like that. I'm like, I can't even find the engine computer in here. What's the deal? <laughs> um, everybody's got their own weird name for stuff. And DME, what manufacturer was that? Uh, so that's like BMW and Mercedes and it's digital motor electronics, I think is what that stands for, but that's your engine computer on a, on a Beamer or a Mercedes. And so, you know, just, just oh. really strange stuff like that. And I mean, there's so many modules on cars now too, like there'll be a name for a module a lot of times in a European, but I mean, even some of the domestics, I'm like reading the name for the module I'm, and I'm reading words, but I'm like, I don't even know what that does. It's like central auxiliary electronic control module. I'm like, I have no clue what that thing is even for. <laughs> you know, I've never heard of it. I've never worked on this vehicle. And so, yeah, yeah going back to what you're saying, where trying to figure, it? yeah, where, where, where it does it exist on this car? I have no clue. Um, it's a battle. It's a battle to take all this stuff in. So going what you're back to what you're saying, like an independent technician try to take on all this stuff. It's it's crazy to try to get your head wrapped around all this stuff. Yes, yes, it is. It's uh, it's a struggle, but it's also you know like with these the ones you figure out, and when yeah, you know each day when you learn something a little new or you find the information you're looking for, you're like, all right, sweet, we're we're chipping away, making a little progress here. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, the more you do it, the more you can pull on, uh, you know, from previous experiences and (laughs) hopefully you can remember them all. I've, I've been sort of document stuff in my phone. I have a Google, uh, like Google sheets and I'll just start documenting stuff. I'm like, you know what? That's important information, or that's something that might be useful someday. I'm going to put it down under my Audi page that I have, and maybe I'll need it. Maybe I'll pull it up someday because I, I know that I'm not going to remember all of it. So at least I have a reference here just in case, <laughs> you know, it could just be stored in the cloud hey, and someday idea. I'll come back to it. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea though. Um. So what are your, what are your thoughts on, so I have a, a buddy who uh, he's still in the dealership world and man, he, he's, he's a bright, bright guy. You know, he, he was the one who helped, you know, was helping me, uh, with both these cars actually. And, but he, you know, cause I told him, you know, I really enjoy diagnostics and you know, I just want to learn and soak it all in and just really get good at it. And he's like, he keeps telling me, he's like, don't waste your time. They, you know, like nobody cares for them. They, nobody wants to pay money for a guy that only does diagnostics like they want a guy that can who knows nothing about diagnostics but can hang 60 80 hours worth of parts and it's like man i I don't know i I feel like maybe right now but in the years to come i don't think i don't know i i don't think they'll have as much of a place as they do now the parts hangers at least well i i I think both is true I, there's always going to be a place for the parts hanger, right? Because the cars are always going to break. They're always going to need parts. What I think is already happening and it's going to happen more as we progress is the need for someone to tell him what parts to put on, right? That's, that's getting more and more common and there is a huge need for it. You see the rise of how many different mobile technicians are starting across the country, um, you know, it, just in the last, I don't know, four years, there are, it seems to be, at least to me, maybe my perspective is limited, but it seems to me like there are way more people taking this on as a career and starting businesses doing specifically that because there's a demand for it, right? Because shops and, and people need somebody to figure these crazy problems out. And so, yeah, you, you got to have somebody to tell that that parts hanger what parts to put on there. So I, I think okay. both can okay. exist. And it's really just a matter of what you want to do as a technician. What, you know, what is what's your goal at the end of the day or the end of the, you know, the end of your career or whatever? Um, are you there to make as much money as humanly possible in this trade? Well, honestly, parts hanging is probably the way to do it. Um, I know guys that are very, very financially successful and they're just flat rate monsters and they couldn't care less about the diagnosis beyond what they have to do. Um, And then obviously I talked to him on the podcast. I know guys that dedicated their life to the, you know, the more technical diagnostic side of it. And and I think each person just kind of has to make the decision for themselves, you know, what's going to be best for them or what's going to for for me, it's what's going to interest me more, right? Like I got bored with parts hanging because it was monotonous. It was the same thing over and over again. And okay, yeah, I'm making a good income, but um, it's not, it got to a point where it wasn't challenging me on a regular basis, 
right? I get a broken bolt every once in a while. Cool. Well, you know, that's a challenge, I guess, but that's not, that's not what I was seeking out. And so I wanted to pursue, you know, something a little bit differently that would challenge me more and, uh, okay. trying to figure out, figure out what's wrong with these cars today. It definitely does that. Yeah, no, I think, uh, actually, yeah, I, I would agree with that statement that, yeah, the need for both, you know, and more the need for people to figure out what parts to change. Yeah. I, I, I can completely agree with that. But yeah, um, the, the dealer versus independent too, that's a decision a lot of people have to make as well, because I, there, there's a place for each one. Um, again, it all goes to, all goes down to what you want out of your daily job or what you want out of your career. Um, and I think you can find different things. I, I know you can find different things between dealer and independent. Um, it's just, it's just all about what your style is as a, as an employee, as a technician. Um, and there's a right place for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. There's just, you know, uh, yeah, there's so many shops like you know, especially kind of out by us or whatever that we'll drive to, like you drive past on lunch and you're just, you know, they're pretty run down. And it's like, how are you guys making it at this day and age, you know, compared, you know, and this is just me saying this from being in a dealer where everything's updated every three years, you know, you're putting a facelift on the front of the building, the waiting area has got to be nicer than people's homes. And then uh-huh. you got this guy's shop and you're like, do you guys own, do you guys own a computer in there? <laughs> like really? <You> know? <laughs> yep. Yep. No, I, I know I go, I go to some of those shops or it's like, wow, wow. How are you doing this? Um, and I think with some of those, it's the, the clientele that they're working with, uh, kind of matches their level of professionalism. And, uh, at least when you get closer to like, you know, big cities and, and you go closer in the cities, it seems like there's just, there's, there's more availability for the clientele that matches those kind of shops. I don't know. That's, that's the nicest way I can say it, but. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I understand. Yeah. So, all right. Well, yeah, no, that's all. I, that's all I had on the list, I think. Okay, that's going to do it for today's episode. I want to give Devin one more big thank you for coming on, spending the time to talk with me here. I enjoyed that talk quite a bit. Hopefully you did as well. Um, also like to give a big thank you to everybody who's been listening and reaching out about the podcast. Can't say enough about that. Thank you very much. Honestly, being that. So uh, with that out of the way, let's all get out there and start fixing the world one car at a time.